Good day, and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host Case Baggerman. How are you doing today, Case? I'm fine, Jarian. Thanks for asking. It's uh, actually um, uh, raining outside because you know I'm, I'm based in the Netherlands, and we've got like, uh, three days of sun. That's our summer, um, <laughs> and we at them last week. So um, um, you know, it's raining, but um, but I'm doing well. How are you? You just got, came back from uh, from some time off. Are you uh, re-energized? Yeah, I'm re-energized. It's, it's nice here. It's actually supposed to be a very nice day. It's not going to be blazing hot like it was where I was on vacation and low humidity today also. So my hair is not going to be a big puff like it was down there most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the challenges with uh, with your style of hair, isn't it? Yep, that humidity kills it. I feel like Mon- <laughs> If you've seen Friends, you know, and seen Monica when they went to the islands, you know, her hair, that's pretty much me the whole weekend when I was on vacation. <laughs> All right, so it's it's good to have you back, and um, uh, you know we've got a, a wonderful guest. And do you want to want to introduce our guest for today, Jorin, or should our guest introduce himself? Well, I don't think he needs an introduction, so let's him introduce himself. There you go. I appreciate the time, guys. Uh, Samit Halvadia here, uh, Chief Technology Officer for um, Remo Three. But uh, you know, I don't have the same hair problem that Jari and does. You know, like uh, you can't see me, but uh, I've made a conscious decision, and it, it's quite a strange story because you know, I had a pretty good head of hair, and I'm sitting there one day on the couch, and my wife walks by me, and she's like, "Well," I'm like, "What?" She's like, "Well, that happened in a hurry," and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> right? Like, I've got like this nice. So I run to the bathroom and I like get two mirrors and I'm looking and there's like a little divot coming out of the back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get out in front of this and, uh, and, and bick it, right? And shave it. So uh, I've been living the non-humidity affected hairstyle for some time. See, see, for me, other than the past, what I think since the pandemic started, I'm usually just like that. I'm usually clean shaven head, you know, short beard, maybe sometimes let it go long, but during the pandemic, I just said, whatever, and let it grow. And then now my kids are like, let it keep growing. Let's see what happens. So yeah, I'm kind of doing the opposite now. <laughs> yeah, no, let's see what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time and um, and having me on. I mean, for me specifically, this is a really exciting um, uh, introduction. I mean, I've done uh, some work with K's before, and it's always been quite fun with the EUC Digest and some of the other pieces. But I'm one of these unique uh, individuals in the sense that I've never left my space in the last 20 years, right? So for me, it's been, uh, I I call myself an enterprise application lifelong nerd, um, where I started at uh, InstallShield as an SE, um, worked my way through product management, running product management for Admin Studio and InstallShield, leaving there to start AppDNA in North America, um, and then ultimately staying at Citrix and of uh, post acquisition and a variety of leadership roles that always focused on application delivery, uh, building professional services, or then ultimately running worldwide pre sales and strategy for Citrix. So um, when we started thinking about at Citrix sunsetting app DNA, I'm like, well, the app problem hasn't gone away. So I'm going to solve it in a different way, which is why we started Remo 3. And which is why we're here today, still trying to solve the problem that seems to be unsolvable. So how was that since you said, you know, with Citrix app DNA and then, you know, they kind of sunsetted it and then went into, you know, you said, well, the problem's not solved. How was that transition from app DNA to Remo 3? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because app DNA, when when we built that, it was it was 
to solve a very specific problem in a very specific way. And really what ended up happening was that when we created AppDNA, it was based around the concept of static analysis, right? Um, which is very fast, which is very thorough and very effective. And our idea was people at this time had been on XP for uh, eight years, right? And then they were starting to think about Vista. And as we all know, Vista never happened. <laughs> um, it's like Windows 9. We don't talk about Windows 9. We don't really talk about Vista, right? So really what ended up happening was that people started looking at AppV and Windows 7 kind of at the same time post-Softricity acquisition. And what we started seeing was that people wanted to know which of their apps could be virtualized, which are good candidates from these MSI packages, these legacy setup.exes into AppV containers without having to poke a billion holes with dynamic suite composition, or whether or not something can run on a 64-bit Windows 7 environment. And that's where we started seeing a, a lot of traction. But it was done through the static analysis against a set of algorithms and rules that said, hey, based on my understanding of the features and components and file structure of this application, I'm, I've analyzed it against an OS, and these are the theoretical threats or things that could go wrong, which is why we had a red, amber, and green. The ones that were red were for sure going to break through static analysis because it conflicted directly with the rule. The ambers were, I don't know, maybe you need to kind of take a look at these particular files in a little bit more detail because they're not up to best practices, but I don't know if you're using the deprecated components or not. Um, and then the green was, it will work, right? So it was a great way for our customers at that time, especially as they were doing that forklift migration off of XP, 16-bit components being deprecated to 64-bit and Windows 7 and app feed. You're looking at three new technologies kind of at the same time. So the static analysis at least gave people a stake in the ground to say, this is the level of effort it's going to take. This is the level of uh, remediation I'm going to have to resource um, from a tooling perspective to make sure that we have a successful migration. And that was groundbreaking at the time, right? The, the challenge that happened after that is application formats became proliferated across more than just AppV and MSI, right? So now you have legacy setup, PowerShell deploy scripts, you just have things that are um, AppV, MSIX, you've got the uh, thin app, you've got app balls, you've got uh, Citrix streaming, you've got a variety of different ways to deploy the same application. And then the thing is now you're not just deploying it against one OS, you're deploying against 12 different builds of Windows 10 and then three different builds of Windows 7 and or Windows 11. And let me add one more thing. Some of it's on-prem and on physical machines. Some of it's in Citrix environments. And some of it is in DAS, right? So now all of a sudden, you take the permutations and you say, I want to deploy an app streaming package on a physical build of Windows 11. But that same package needs to work in multi-session for Windows 10 sitting up in AVD. Can you answer that question for me? And static analysis just wasn't the right answer. So... Our approach with Remo was very different where I decided I don't want to know anything about this application. What I want is I want true dynamic analysis and I want it without scripting. I want it without rules. And I want it to be something that can be done across any silently installed Windows application. So the challenge with typical automated testing, and I've done this in IT for ages where I'm managing a library of RPA scripts um, to automate testing prior to deployment 
But if someone moves a dialog box or a new version of the application comes out, you're like, well, I got to rewrite that script or I've got to refactor that script, which is another, you know, 30 minutes or an hour of getting a subject matter expert in to come in and re-record it. But my approach here with Remo 3 was really around actually just I want to be able to use something that can be applied dynamically to any Windows application. And what that's kind of led us to is our intelligent smoke test. So the thought behind this is really around, I want to take any application, all of your configuration that comes out of Config Manager, all your seed, supersede, custom actions, uh, dependencies, package uh, attributes, everything that you've kind of customized over the last 20 some years, because it's your application, it's your build that you need to run your business, and I want to automatically test it against your build and your configured build of your gold image. So for us, what we do is we go through the installation logic automatically, install the application in the configured environment that they want to deploy it to. Then we automatically discover and test the application. And that's where that patent kind of comes in. We have two out of three already approved, one pending. But what it allows us to do is basically look at all the executables and shortcuts that have been laid down and launch them. And what we consider there is this is my parent process. The first executable is my parent process. I'm going to look for a series of clicks that will allow me to launch children processes to extend that intelligent smoke test so I can capture errors that you would never see, right? Because we're video recording the entire thing. We're capturing screenshots of it. So at the end of it, what the IT administrator gets is they get a video that says this is passed and this is what was done during that test, right? So now what we've started seeing is errors that we would never have been able to writ written rules for, right? Um, and, and what's really great about it is because it's fully automated and it's fully dynamic. It's a binary answer. Either it works or it doesn't work. There's no amber anymore, right? Um, so for us, it's really around kind of taking the complexity with all the different deployment models and application formats, running them all. Because again, as long as I don't have to have a human involved and it's just compute, I don't care if it's six minutes in application, let it go. Yeah. Let it run over the course of a weekend, spin up more VMs, I don't care. And then ultimately you get a binary choice, a, a sense of confidence that yes, I can deploy this application in the cloud physically against this build in this format, et cetera. So it really allows us to remove a lot of the uncertainty um, around application deployment. Yeah, and, and two key things that take away from that is that, you know, versus AppD, where AppD was more rigid, more script, more like structured. Um, and if you had that Amber, it's like, well, you still got to go test. You still got to, you know, proceed at your own risk type of thing. But with Remote 3, um, flexibility and automation, right? So you're not having to go through those extra steps. You're not having to come in with preconceived notions of the application and these rules. You just say, look, we're going to do all this, take a look at it. Here's a nice video. It's all automated. You can run these things overnight or while you're doing other things and come back, watch the videos, and you can move on with your day. And that's exactly right. I mean, and for us, and, and let me let me clarify this, right? Because Brad Rowland will tell you I might be the most conservative CTO that he's ever worked with. <laughs> but, the, but the reality is I've also worked in IT, right? I've worked with customers and, and this is by no means a silver bullet for UAT. I, I call it the intelligent smoke test for a very particular reason. It's there to cover 100% of your apps, 80% of the way there. 
right? So, you know, we're testing from between a minute and three minutes, which is, you know, it'd be irresponsible of me to say that, okay, on the back of that, take your business critical applications and just launch them. No, what, what I'm saying is, you're going to get the data that you need to be able to start deploying cumulative updates, feature OS updates, application updates with a sense of confidence with a T plus two days uh, time frame as opposed to a T plus 45 days time frame that currently exists today, right? So for us, for those applications, if you want to create your own RPAs and do some of the business critical um, tests that have already been created, we can help orchestrate that UAT through our platform. But I mean, there's still a time and a place for that UAT. Uh, it's just, again, my whole mantra, unattended, automated, data-driven, and binary. Would you say that the, the launch of Remo3, if you look at the, um, the availability of technology with public cloud in the, uh, as an arise, would, would, was a perfect timing for, for you guys? Because, you know, in the app DNA world, you had to do with static rules and very... You know, confined rules because you didn't have a lot of choice, right? Now, if you look at the options that you have to deploy software to actually make software more intelligent, mm -hmm. so much more diverse than we had, let's say, 10, um, 10 12 years ago. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So on both fronts, right, from a development standpoint, um, by leveraging the Azure stack from a development standpoint, it's been fantastic because it allows us a level of flexibility and tooling that we never had at AppDNA, for instance, right? And developing Remo3 on Azure, I mean, while developing any platform is a challenge and it has its own challenges, it, it, it's been a relatively... Um, great experience to be honest right and on the on the other side of it when you were talking about deploying it to azure like the timing you know to be honest i would say we were a little bit early mm -hmm. um even with the pandemic even with people starting to work from home and work styles becoming a little bit more remote focused what we ended up finding is that with avd because this was before windows 365 right so think about like when when the pandemic really hit People with, that were looking at ABD, I mean, they couldn't get rid of Citrix on Nutanix, right? Like I, I talked to Andy Whiteside and the Zentegra team, um, and Nutanix is the SKU that they move the most uh, because that, that allows a huge amount of flexibility to, to help support that hybrid work style. But people were not adopting cloud at scale, and they won't for a while case, right? Because it, it's scary. It's different, <laughs> right? And, and you look at ABD. The traditional AVD proof of concept when we were when we were trying to help people move applications into AVD was no 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 I'm going to start with Teams I'm going to start with Office 365 I'll jam a little bit of Slack on there maybe some Chrome and that's it right they're not taking their actual business applications out of Config Manager putting them into Intune or pump, pumping them into Nerdio or any of these technologies to deploy to AVD so I'd say while the timing. Uh, today seems like it's probably poised to be ideal in the next year. For two years, it was a lot of languishing um, because people just didn't know how to right. adopt AVD at scale. Now, to that to that point, um, you know, as Remo3 went through its own kind of um, application landscape, if you like, and, and challenges, what's your thoughts on on current application landscape and, and the challenges that come with it? Like, Microsoft trying to sunset uh, app fee support, but MSIX is, you know, it's debatable if it's there yet. So <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, it's funny, right? I mean, 
MSIX is uh, I mean, ultimately everyone wants to leverage MSIX for one reason, in my opinion. So let me come to it from the enterprise side, right? From the enterprise focus as opposed to the ISV focus. From the enterprise side, oh God, App Attach is sexy. It is dead sexy technology. FS Logics did a great job. Microsoft did a great job with it after. The problem is MSIX as a bridge to App Attach is still a bit nascent as a technology, right? Um, it is fairly new. It does have its limitations, but it's improving, right? Like with Windows 11, you have the right-click context menu, which you didn't have in Windows 10, which, wow, well, you, you, if you can't right-click on an application, that that's a big problem. So I think there are challenges with it. However, there are technologies that are complementary to it. So nobody is in true vendor lock-in anymore, case. So like, I don't see everybody just committing to MSIX. I see people, uh, a large retailer in the US that's looking at app volumes as their application deployment alongside MSIX and then leveraging a combination of Intune and Horizon Cloud Services to move to Windows 365. Like that's not a statement I would have ever made two <laughs> years ago. Like all these vendors cross pollinating and you know playing kind of cooperatively, I guess if that's the word, um, with each other to figure out. Okay, I'll be in charge of the management plan. I'll be in charge of the app format. You be in charge of the desktop. You be in charge of the endpoint. Great. All right. Do we have a deal? So I think that when you start thinking about the application landscape today. There's a lot more complexity, but there's also a lot more flexibility. So those two things, as you know, um, is a is very much a double-edged sword. So if you have the right tools and the right operational workflows in place to manage that complexity, you can really take advantage of that flexibility and get time to value so quickly. It, it does require a, a certain level of maturity, right? From a, from an application vendor perspective, but also from a from a customer perspective, to actually having processes in place is something that that you know we all have a need for. But the maturity to understand the tooling that's out there and the the when to position what tooling that's a hard choice to make, and especially in, in current landscape where you have like you you've got your let's say task workers that are confused when their their line of business application icon will change color yeah. versus the row warrior like um, I'd like to call myself because I fiddle around with my own laptop and I, I bring up on my own applications that that kind of that complexity of user users and and how they deal with their applications adding to kind of the the numerous ways of deploying these applications, that's something that uh, that requires a, a certain level of maturity in, in in organizations. What's your what's your view on that? You know, it's um, you're absolutely right. Right, this was so. This is I liken this to the first iteration of when let's call it 2007 when VDI was supposed to be the savior, right? And VDI, <laughs> if you remember, right? Like that VMware came in with their desktop virtualization, Citrix had server virtualization, server-based compute. Everyone had their own virtual app file formats. All the pieces were in place for great, flexible, secure deployments um, by leveraging a, a subset of these three different types of technologies. The problem came back to exactly what you're saying, Kaze, which is, not everybody had the subject matter expertise to be able to do application segmentation, 
user segmentation, uh, VM sizing, all those other components that you need to do upfront, the legwork that's required for you to start understanding how much compute do I need? What types of users are gonna use which applications offline? That data didn't historically exist. Um, and now I think that that's a little bit different. The challenge still remains there. However, there are partners out there like Jarian, your, your consulting firm that has done the um, user segmentation or Zentegra or some of these ProArcs. And there's quite a few out there that actually specialize in helping you plan these digital transformations, so to speak. Um, the reason that I think that they're a little more successful is because technology has evolved as well, right? Back then, you were starting from ground zero, like you were interviewing your users. Yep. You didn't want to be interviewed in the first place to say, how do you <laughs> use your apps? How do you use your workspace? So like, get out of here. I have to do my job, right? Um, now with telemetry and with some of the desktop analytics that exist, you have historical data around how people are using their applications and using their workspaces. I mean, Microsoft, I'm talking to, you know, Scott, and, uh, Manchester and Christian, um, you know, one of the things that made them choose to help build out Windows 365 for offline is data. And it was data around the fact that a bunch of their, you know, power users of this persistent desktop would be on a plane or would yep. be disconnected. Um, so VHD syncing was a very important feature for them to put on the roadmap and prioritize that data would not have existed out of tooling 15 years ago. It just wouldn't. So with the likes of Control Up, the likes of Lakeside, Nextink, and, and the built-in telemetry that some of these other VDI vendors have, I think it's a little bit easier case, but you still need to do what you said, which is wrap some professional services or IT services maturity around it to actually turn it into a project plan, to turn it into a well-defined structure that you can have milestones and say, I'm going to roll out this subset of my applications to this subset of my users first, we'll test it, then we'll go out and do the next subset, right? Um, that's just not something that that people have historically done because it's hard, right? It's, it's very difficult and it requires patience, it requires data, things that most folks just don't have the luxury for, right? You, you don't have the luxury of time. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned too, about the road warrior and the offline, just from us driving, you know, 16 hours, 17 hours, you know, between our vacation spot and home was that we weren't always connected. Yes. 5G has made things better because I have a 5G hotspot and helped the kids get connected. So they're at least somewhat happy sitting in the car that long and right. entertained, but there's still areas where you have no connectivity or connectivity is there, but it's very slow. So you need that, that, that offline sync, that piece to be able to help have those customers so having that data was spot on to say, look, we need to build this out because there's never going to be a hundred percent connectivity scenario unless you're in the same place at the same time. Right? right. But even that can, you know, you can have some kind of outage as well. So definitely have to build that. Now you mentioned the, when Case asked about the application landscape and challenges, you mentioned the, the flexibility, but also the complexity so, you know, piggybacking on that, what do you think about the evolution of packaging apps and testing for those Windows applications on the back of that uh, landscape and challenges? You know, um, it's an interesting question because there are more package formats that are supported by <laughs> management points and endpoint management technologies than have ever been. And hence the flexibility, right? Like, for instance, I'm a big fan 
of Liquidware Flex app. I think it's a pretty good piece of technology uh, as far as app masking goes. I think MSIX has a long ways to go, but the construct of the container itself and no win rot, that, that's very appealing to me. Like it's kind of worth the effort of potentially moving to it at balls. So, you know, as you look at all these technologies, chances are, and this is one of the things that I found, as you start moving from Windows 7 to Windows 10, there's compatibility issues for sure. But if you're moving from Windows 10 to Windows 11 from a vanilla perspective, as long as your application works on Windows 10, the underlying kernel of Windows 11 is 95% the same. So if you're moving a vanilla version of Chrome from a vanilla version of uh, Windows 10 2004 to a vanilla version of Windows, 21, uh, Windows 11 21 H2, it's probably going to work. And that's a great thing that, that Microsoft has kind of made it easy to take these different applications and move them relatively seamlessly. But the reality is you guys have all worked with big enterprises. Um, there's no such thing as a vanilla application. You go to any insurance, FSI, you know, financial services or insurance, every application has been secured, repackaged, custom actioned, transformed, dependencies, font packs, volume, you know, like you plugins. see all these different yep. plugins. Yeah. You see all these different customizations and that alongside the configuration, when you try to do sys level one security hardening of your image, that automatically breaks about 30% of your applications because it's the right thing to do, right? Like you are changing all these GPOs to harden that particular image. That's where we see our value for Remote 3. So automated testing is not just about making sure it works on Windows 11. It's about being able to say, everyone is special. Everyone's a snowflake. Everyone's a fingerprint, right? You have your versions of your applications. You have your versions of your images. Let's test those two against each other because that's the only way you get relevant data to be able to make deployment decisions. Just because something works on Windows 11 out of the box, when it's configured out of the box, doesn't mean it's going to work on your Windows 11, right? So for us, the evolution, you know, going back to your question about the complexity with the application management landscape, it's really about being able to have that confidence to, to answer one question, which is, will your application in its existing format, one of the 12 different deployment methodologies you can package it into. The good news about packaging, by the way, so back in my admin studio days, packaging um, like in 2003, 2004, it was kind of like a, you had two camps. You had your Wise Package Studio camp and you had your Admin Studio camp. And Wise Package Studio guys thought that they were like, they were more elegant and they had this Wise Package script and they could do a little bit more development. And they were right, right? Like it was a very sexy solution in terms of allowing people to do some of the customizations around um, their packages. But it required a certain level of expertise. It required a certain level of, you know, I need to know, okay, when I run into an error, this is what it means. So you started seeing a little bit of subject matter experts kind of rise up in that packaging industry. And you created an entire ecosystem around that where- I, I was team wise, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you were team wise. Yeah, I was obviously team admin studio. <laughs> um, but you know, what, what you started seeing is there was a combination of science and like I'd say it was 50% science and process and 50% flair, creativity and uh, dark arts, you know? Yeah. That, 
Um, so, you know, you started seeing a little bit more of that complexity with packaging and then it got even more complex. I mean, Tim Mangan has made a career out of AppFee, right? Yep. So, and, and good for him because gosh, when you saw the first SFT package, I actually remember because I went and I, if you guys remember Sean Donahue and you know him, mm -hmm. Sean came from Softricity and at the time I was admin studio PM and I'm like, Shondo, I need to get the package file format so I can write an automated conversion for it because nobody wants to see the <laughs> application. And, and funny enough, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but Shondo got the file format documented by a Dutch guy. Um, I, I don't know if he's still active in the EUC space, but once we got that file format, we created an automated conversion and we saw admin studio sales literally double. Um, and even though we could only convert 80% of the applications, that was good enough because sequencing was 90% dark arts yep. and 10% science, right? Like, okay, now I got to figure out which holes I want to poke in here. And it was really, really complex to package into SFTs. Yeah, it's almost like when you say 80% of the time, it reminds me of that line from Anchorman, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> and that's what the art with application and packaging is like, it's basically that. And uh, one thing you mentioned, you know, you know, going from like XP to, to Vista to Windows 7 to Windows 10, and then going from Windows 10 to 11, do you think the application compatibility scripts slash shims have gotten worse or have gotten better as you're going from 10 to 11, going back from when you went from XP to Vista to, to 7 to 10? What, what are your thoughts on that? Just kind of jump in on that. Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, the, the reality is, I don't think that there has been enough investment in it, to be honest, right? I think that it's kind of stagnated a little bit. And um, if you know most enterprises, they have a, a no-shim policy, uh, mainly because it's not a sustainable way. Uh, you, you'd rather just go in and change the application or repackage certain components of the application or transform it, right? Because it's just a more elegant way to do it without causing any um, potential threats at the OS level, right? You're doing it just at that package level. Uh, but, you know, back to the earlier point though, like if you start thinking about the quality of remediation and the level of effort associated with remediation, packaging's gotten better, right? Like, okay, so MSIX allows PSF, file redirection, stuff like that. That's a much more elegant way um, to start doing um, file redirection and, and, and ensure that you have compatibility. Uh, App Vaults with their JSON script is a really easy way to configure and a clean way to configure your, your packages um, and, and containers. So I think that from a remediation perspective, shims are still garbage um, as an application purist, um, but the, the packaging technologies and the file formats themselves have natively started offering much more comprehensive remediation options than they historically have, right? Um, and this is kind of that the, the next iteration of packaging, where if I look at MSIX and I look at App Balls and I look at Flexa, they all have CLI interfaces and a super great conversion rate. MSIX, not so much, but I mean, they, <laughs> you know, the others have really great conversion rates because they've made, they've taken the, the challenge with packaging that's existed for 20 years and said, forget it. We'll automate it. And then if something's broken, post-conversion, use our JSON, use our remediation methodology to address it, um, which I think is, is, is much more uh, elegant and probably comprehensive than shims ever were. So we've discussed a little bit of uh, the 
traditional kind of application landscape and challenges. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked about the evolution of app packaging and where we are today. What, what do you foresee for the, the short-term future, maybe long-term future of application packaging? You know, just t- breaking it down in phases. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's going to be a time, and I think that this is this is interesting. I mean, MSI, Microsoft will tell you, is their greatest invention and their worst <laughs> invention, right? Like it, it, it's two things, right? Because a, it enabled SMS to become config manager and truly allow physical endpoint management um, from a central management plane, and I think that from that perspective with all the customizations. And in fact, people still won't go off of Config Manager and have to do co-management because of the, the flexibility it provides in terms of, I want to put these KBs in, not the entire cumulative update, whereas Intune makes you do the whole thing, right? Including drivers that you might not want in there, et cetera. So I think that from that perspective, the evolution of on-prem MSIs is is not going to go away um, in the next 10, 15 years. There's just too much logic and there's too much uh, custom action-driven investment that's gone into there. But alongside that, so is technical legacy debt is bundled in there as well with those packages. And if there's a way that you can go ahead and keep all of the customization and all of that logic without bringing along the bloat, that is your best case scenario, right? And I think that, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, the MSI is not going anywhere. But I think with the next iteration of packaging, you're going to start seeing a lot more containerization technologies out there. You've seen, and it'll be a co-management type of environment where you will manage some physical installations, but that still provides you, it leaves you susceptible to wind rot upon removal of these applications and stuff like that. You guys have talked about, and we touched on AppV going end of life. Um, which is going to be a, a devastating blow to a lot of enterprises as well, especially if there's not a cle- clear and automated route to MSIX or even feature parity on MSIX uh, to get to those containers. Uh, you'll be looking at app balls, you'll be looking at Flex app and some of these other technologies out there. Um, but ultimately, um, there's a concept that we've been working on with HP around fluid apps is is the name of it. And that's still very much under uh, public preview. We're starting to, to uh, go out to some customers and share the concept. But the idea for us is to create truly portable applications with a universal file format that is almost like, think about it like a, a, a Windows Docker container uh, with Kubernetes capabilities, right? Like it, it doesn't exist in Windows, but being able to move an application um, by leveraging the containerization and automated testing from one workspace that's being delivered via persistent Windows 365 to a multi-session friendly AVD Windows 10 workspace or a Citrix Server 2022 workspace, that's the direction we truly want to go in. And the, and the reason it hasn't come out yet is because it's a tough nut to crack, right? Um, portability for Windows applications is not the same as portability for Linux-based applications or cloud-based applications developed from the ground up. You have too much legacy technical debt in there. So now that we kind of covered some some landscape and, and some futures type stuff, let's kind of dive into the, the product a little bit. Um, do you have any direct integrations with other products? So like, can you like, can like, 
like tie right into any other products out there in the industry? I, I see a bunch of logos on your website, but is there any direct integration into those logos? Yeah, uh, so there is. And, and for us, it's around truly kind of operationalizing the workflow of taking what's already in your environment and helping you determine whether or not you can move to your desired environment, right? So from an operational workflow perspective, we allow you to pull in applications, including all of that conditional logic I talked about a little earlier from, from on-prem config manager environment. So if you have all of your packages sitting in there or task sequences that you've created or things without executables because you've been naughty and you've decided that uh, you know this config manager package is just going to be font packs or whatever it is, we're able to import all of that from config manager into the Remo3 cloud platform and it's the, the, the cloud platform is actually linked to your Azure tenant. So as a customer, if you have your Azure tenant and you've started porting over a bunch of your uh, applic- uh, gold images from Config Manager, changing them to VHDs and putting them in your private image gallery up in Azure, we can start testing directly against those private images that you've created. So we're taking all of the applications out of Config Manager and we're announcing on... July 11th, and I think, sorry, you've gotten to see the public preview of this, but we are actually taking all of the config manager packages and then testing them for modern deployment. But at the same time, we are helping you modernize the packages themselves, meaning, okay, if it works on Windows 11, would you like to either see whether or not you can export this to Intune? So take all this logic that you've created through Config Manager. Now we're going to modernize that package in one of three formats. Number one, a simple encrypted MSI. So it'll be a LOB application. We'll go ahead, we'll test it, we'll convert it to the MSI, and then we'll export it into Intune as an LOB encrypted MSI, MSIX. If it's a good candidate for MSIX, we automatically link in with the command line interface for the uh, MSIX packaging tool build the actual MSIX, then we test the MSIX to make sure that it's functional. And then if it is, and it passes all those you know, uh, flags and milestones, then we can allow you to export it directly into Intune. And then if it's, and that'll be an LOB app as well. And if you have a complex non-MSIX, non-simple encrypted MSI, we will go ahead and call the Intune packaging technology, automate the conversion and wrapping of it with the .intune win wrapper and then export that into Intune as well. So what you're starting to see is that there's an automated path to taking all of that conditional logic of all of your packages over the last 20 years and moving them to a modern management plane from a legacy one because now all of a sudden up in Intune, those applications are now ready for potential cloud deployment based on you know any type of DAS or a hybrid type of offering. Um, through Intune. And we do the same. We're going to be announcing for Nerdio, um, but just for MSIX. That's a strong feature. If you can actually move away, well, not move away, but if you can take the content that, that is in Confmedicare and move it into Intune with an automated process, that's definitely something that um, that I think a lot of customers and, and enterprises are struggling with today. So I um, I think that's a very interesting one to uh, to have. Now, you already mentioned it a, a bit, and we 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 discussed it in, uh, in in bits and pieces. But 
What's your take on the impact of cloud when it comes down to deployment and AVD or AWS workspaces, et cetera? What do you see with SaaS apps versus traditional apps? Um, you know, just say, uh, from a from a Remo three or maybe your own point of view, um, how do how do you see the impact of cloud? You know, it's um, when you think about cloud in general, right? And you start thinking about the way that the, these endpoints are being managed. There is definitely a level like for for AVD, um, they, they, what cloud allows us to do, let me take a step back. What cloud allows us to do is it's bringing VDI to the masses. It, it, it's the same thing that I always say, right? The, the majority of folks that are um, currently consuming Windows 365 and some of the folks that are consuming AVD are SMBs, right? Nerdio, for instance, has made an entire business out of this MSP space where they have managed service providers that are managing the soup to nuts, all of it from image building to image deployment to application building to application deployment. They're using mainly COTS applications and COTS images, but they're putting them out there and they're managing these 50 endpoints. And that's how adoption is being driven. It, it's made cloud-based computing accessible to everybody, car dealerships, grocery stores, things that didn't necessarily have the subject matter expertise, verticals that in sizes that didn't have the subject matter expertise they had in the past. Um, but for the enterprises where they have all these homegrown applications and this legacy debt that comes with them, um, it's it's a, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's a heavy lift. You have to do testing, you have to do refactoring, you have to do remediation, you have to actually ensure that the right application can extend its life cycle enough to still be something that I want to deploy in the cloud. And, and I think that modernizing them for Intune deployment, uh, it solves a big chunk of that problem. But the reality is it's going to be a heavier lift for enterprises as opposed to folks that don't have legacy data. I mean, I look at Remo3, right? We're a relatively small startup, you know, under 50 folks. And I think about it and I'm looking and seeing, you know what? The only application that I locally install, because I have no homegrown applications aside from the one that we take to market, the only application I, I, I like to install locally is Office because I like having that you know look and feel and Miro, which is a great whiteboarding technology because I, I like the way that I can you know kind of click around that. I don't have installed applications. So if you look at SaaS, for instance, SaaS for new customers or new, we'll call them digital native companies that are being built from the ground up, that's going to be 98% of their application portfolio. So I think that that makes it a little bit cleaner um, for those techno for those types of companies to adopt these technologies first. But for enterprises and for anyone that's basically call it a thousand seats and above, um, there's going to be a little bit of effort. But on the back of it, what you're also doing is you're extending the longevity of those applications because if you look at you know, the if you look at the typical enterprise today and working with HP, we've noticed this with a couple of big customers. They see Windows 11, desktop as a service, so whether it's Windows 365 or AVD, AWS, whatever, and Config Manager to Intune as three separate migrations. And guess what? Nobody wants to do three migrations at the same time. That's just not a thing, right? So what they'll do, and this is what the Config Manager team at Microsoft you know, kind of brought up, is what they'll do is Windows 11 is an inflection point where if we can help them not only test for Windows 11, 
but get their applications off of Config Manager into Intune, it automatically allows you to make those applications distributable and deployable to any of the DAS offerings. So with our solution, the value that we're providing is trying to leverage automation once to answer three questions. Can I get this off of Config Manager into Intune? Will this work in Windows 11? Will this work in Windows 365 or AVD? So for us, when you start thinking about the impact of, you, you talked about DAS in general, um, if we can automate as much as humanly possible, including taking your logic and moving to a modern management plane, including automating the testing against your DAS builds, and then ultimately deploying to those DAS builds, we feel like there's a very compelling solution for enterprises to move more quickly and take advantage of some of these offerings, just like the SMB camp. So um, you mentioned some new product announcements, and we'll, we'll get into you, that, that feature is coming. So you mentioned HPE, um, you mentioned um, oh, Nerdio. It's just HP, not HP. Yeah, sorry, HP. <laughs> I, it's, it's yeah, it's it's habit. HP. <laughs> um, you mentioned Nerdio, and you mentioned uh, the Config Manager to Intune stuff. So let's go ahead and get into. Uh, your new product announcement and those other any other features coming that you want to talk about because that's coming here what pretty like, end of the month next month early next month your new product announcement it is so we so went into pre yeah we went yeah. into pre production today um, which is awesome uh, so I'm very excited about that and, and and you've nailed it right we import from Config Manager the export to Intune the automation of the creation of the three Intune formats that we actually deploy to uh, MSIX encrypted MSI and uh, Intune when wrapped um, package as well uh, same for Nerdio just export to MSIX and then they automatically uh, convert it to app attached VHD or SIMFS whatever you choose to use so those are some of the big integrations that were were fully allowed to announce today um, which will be generally available July 11th. So um, you'll see that uh, update coming out in more detail. But we've actually, uh, I'll share a couple of themes, uh, not necessarily timelines, but a couple of themes that we're looking at as well. So from a theme perspective, our intelligence is built into a task runner, which is basically an agent that sits and allows you to execute these tests against a configured build. Um, our goal is to be able to test it against any cloud, any physical, any virtual, or any uh, cloud-based offering. So being able to test against AWS builds, being able to test against GCP builds, being able to test it in, we already test in Citrix environments, we already test in VMware environments. Um, but our goal is, with, we call it new task runner, um, is to be able to test against any Windows workspace. Um, and the reason that that's a little bit tricky is because, believe it or not, Windows is complicated. So the way the way that people deliver some of these workspaces and VMs require different types of reboot options and reset options. And um, figuring that out for each and every single one is a bit of a challenge. Um, but it is definitely something that's high on the roadmap because we know it's not all just about AVD and Windows 365. I'd say that's a very ambitious, uh, ambitious goal. Knowing how hyperscalers can can differ from hyperscaler to hyperscaler, but also from region to region, uh, there's a lot, a lot of work to uh, to be done there. That's uh, that's definitely um, uh, ambitious to uh, to get that done. It is. Um, it it sounds like you're uh, you're on your way to uh, to kind of what we um, and I'm, I'm looking at Jarian right now. What we refer to as hybrid multi-cloud where you're acknowledging the fact that 
customers will run in different setups with on-prem uh, and public cloud, depending on you know their their use case and 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 the way that they look at cloud or the way they want to consume cloud. They might have multiple cloud vendors uh, in their portfolio. So, I, th I think that's a great strategy. Um, and looking at the time, I think it's uh, it's about time to uh, to close uh, close this episode of um, uh, this podcast with frontline chatter off. Um, Smita, I really want to thank you for uh, for your time today. Jordan, it was uh, my pleasure again, and um, uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Yes, thank you, and, and congrats on the new release and features. Thanks, everyone, and I appreciate the time, Jarian and Kays. It's always a pleasure, and I think that you know being able to nerd out and nobody talks about the apps, so uh, it's good to to be able to leverage your really well received uh, platform as a as a soapbox. So appreciate it again. All right. Thank you, Sumit. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening.